0: TED Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I am Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 32 of Fed Talks. I'm Jimmy Chrisman, your host, and I am really excited to bring this episode to you. Um, When I was looking at going to colleges, I applied for the North Carolina Teaching Fellows Scholarship, and my guidance counselor brought in a group of UNC Charlotte Teaching Fellows to my high school to talk to us about the program and what it was like, and my guest today was in that group and she inspired me to want to go and study education. So I went to UNC Charlotte on this scholarship. Um, I I approached her at our picnic uh, of the teaching fellows that we had at the beginning of the year, and uh, introduced myself. She did not remember who I was, and I'm sure she thought I was this weird freshman just approaching her, and who was absolutely in love and infatuated with her. Um, But Coco and I became great friends uh, throughout my freshman year, and uh, she's the reason that I went into theater education. And uh, she took me to my first uh, college audition. We were cast together as leads in The Good Woman of Szechuan by Bertolt Brecht. And she, uh, again, was just one of my best friends that first year of college and she she had me take a creative drama class and that's where I realized what I was supposed to be doing with my life. So I owe my entire career to my interactions with Coco Thornton and uh, she's just an absolute delight and I know you're going to enjoy hearing her conversation. Her passion for what she does just explodes off of the speakers of whatever you're listening to the podcast on and i i just hope you enjoy her infectious energy and uh you are you walk away inspired just like i did 22 and a half years ago and like i did again after i had my interview with her so coco thank you for talking with me i hope you enjoy my conversation with this coco thornton I am ecstatic to have on Fed Talks this episode Ms. Coco Thornton. She is a high school theater arts teacher at Enloe Magnet High School in Raleigh, North Carolina. Twenty-two and a half years of teaching, and uh, I will I will share a little bit more about my adoration for Coco in just a minute. But I'm going to have her introduce herself to you. Coco, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jimmy. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So, tell me a little bit about um, about you and your program, and kind of your SparkNotes journey to where you are now.
1: Sure. Um, well, I graduated at, from UNC Charlotte and started teaching at Northwest School of the Arts in Charlotte, um, and was there for two years. And then um, I decided it was time to move back to Raleigh. And at the time I was helping to rewrite the curriculum for theater in North Carolina and met Sue Scarborough who is a renowned theater teacher in North Carolina. And she taught in low magnet high school and we really hit it off. And she was looking for a colleague and I was looking for a job, and so I was blessed to be hired at Enloe, and I have been there now for 20 years. It is um, the Magnet High School for Arts in Wake County. Um, However, unlike Northwest School of the Arts in Charlotte, um, Enloe still has a lot of the traditional high school things like sports and um, things like that. Uh, they are. Wake County is building a new high school that is supposed to be more of a traditional magnet art school, where it would be really just focused on the arts. But I think one of the advantages that Inlo has is that it is just so diverse. We're also an international baccalaureate school, mm-hmm. and so it's so diverse with just super intellectual students um, who also happen to have a passion for the arts and want to do that professionally. So we have just a really nice mix of, um, of a population there. And I've really grown a lot working there. And I enjoy working there and feel um, quite fortunate to have been there as long as I have.
0: Um, Do you do you teach IB theater classes?
1: I have taught IB. It, um, we do IB with the theater classes at Enloe at uh, the same time as our regular theater classes. We have a level five acting class at Enloe. So in, in North Carolina, there's um, beginning, proficient, intermediate, and advanced um, classes for all of the arts, for chorus and theater and whatnot. But at Enloe, we have a magnet class that's a level five class. So it's on top of that advanced level four theater class and that's called Actors Ensemble. Mm -hmm. So the IB curriculum is kind of interwoven into that class. However, we have not actually had any IB students for about, I would say two years, we haven't had any IB theater students. Um, And prior to that, I had like one a year. But next year, I have two IB students, so they'll they'll be in the same actors ensemble class as all the other level five acting students. But they'll just have additional work, and some of their projects will be, um, you know, more geared towards the international baccalaureate curriculum. Yeah,
0: I, I taught IB theater like I think the last four or five years um, when I was still in the classroom, and yeah. um, I loved it. I loved it. It was hard work. They, those kids have some really intense assignments. And, yeah. and uh, I always found that if you, you give them that challenge, they're going to rise to it. And, and they typically always did. So that's cool. That's really cool. Um, what, where, where did your passion for theater education begin? Like where oh, did that come gosh. from?
1: Well, I mean, I think like a lot of theater educators, it began when I was in
0: high school
1: I was very shy and, and still am to, to some extent. I, um, I like being by myself a lot, <laughs> um, which people who know me outside of, you know, in my profession, they find that surprising. Um, but I was very shy and I felt like being in theater, I was able to get up on stage and just not be myself. I wasn't afraid of, the characters that I took on and they empowered me to be able to be confident. And, and also, you know, I, I think like a lot of people like me, I really liked playing the bad people, (laughs) the bad characters. (laughs) So I enjoyed um, doing things and saying things that, that Coco Thornton would never have done off, off stage, you know, but it was fun to just let loose and, and live inside a different character for a little bit. And I just felt like it, it made me a better person uh, being involved in high school theater. It made me appreciate other people's uh, talents and abilities. It made me enjoy working with others and collaborating. And, um, and, and like I said, it just gave me this self-confidence that I know so many teenagers just hunger for. Um, and I also, when I was in high school, just really enjoyed working with people teens which I know sounds really weird because I was a teenager myself but I liked being a mentor to the teens that were a little bit younger than me and so I felt like education is you know kind of perfect for that like I would be a mentor to teenagers for the rest of my life and um and to be able to share my love of theater and the arts with them uh, even better you know so um So I just knew going into college that eventually I would want to teach high school theater. However, when I first went into college, I was an English major, but that changed within the first semester. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I still minored in English, but I, I mean, I really didn't know from the get go that it was high school theater that I wanted to teach. So.
0: Um, I, I, I've debated where to, to, throw this information into our interview but I think I'm gonna do it now that you were my inspiration to go into theater education what uh you, oh my gosh really you may not even remember it but you we Coco and I both um had teaching fellow scholarships in yes. North Carolina and when I was a senior in high school you came with a group of other UNC Charlotte teaching fellows to talk to me and I think maybe two other students in my the library at my high school.
1: No, I remember that. I do remember that.
0: And I, you, you sold me on teaching. Um, and when we got to UNCC in the in the fall, went to the teaching fellows cookout that we had at the beginning of the year, and I remember coming up to you and saying. You are my inspiration. You're why I'm doing this. Do you remember coming to my school? I just adore you and I want to be like you. And you were like, I don't know who this weird little freshman is, but okay. (laughs) And then Coco is the person who grabbed me in our dorm commons area one night and said, you're going with me to an audition. We scampered across campus together and we both got the leads in Good Woman of Szechuan. Good Woman
1: of Szechuan, yes.
0: And... (laughs) Coco has been my inspiration. Then after we got the lead, she said, I think you need to take creative drama. So I signed up for creative drama and I was hooked. And that was that was all it took. Oh
1: my gosh, Jimmy, I did not know. You thank you,
0: you are the reason that. I am here now, so thank you. Oh my gosh. I adore you.
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. You're welcome, world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so tell me uh some of your 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 favorite stories on your journey so far? Uh, they could be funny stories, touching moments, some of those horror stories that we all yeah. know.
1: <laughs> um. Oh, I have so many. I, I'll start with the one I feel like I'm right in the middle of one of the most um, uh. Interesting stories of my career, as I'm sure everyone can say right now, with the coronavirus. I um, my school was supposed to be uh, just, uh, today is Friday, and no, wait, yeah, no, today is Friday, and on Thursday, Wednesday, we were supposed to be the first high school in the world to open Frank Wildhorn and Jack Murphy's Wonderland, and um, it was miraculous that we even got the rights to do the show, and so, and it has been one of the hardest things that we've done. The material clearly was not prepared for licensing uh we had the original script from from tampa not the broadway one but yet we had lyrics from both the broadway and the european tour and and frank wanted us to insert a duet that was in the european tour but it's not in the script and so we had to write it in and there's no in the script there's no cues for underscoring or when things start and stop and I mean, it was literally us kind of piecemealing this show together and creating something that we hoped um, as the writers did that, you know, we could record it and send to the writers and they would potentially be able to use this to convince licensing companies to invest in getting the materials organized because they would see, hey, this is something that high schools would want to do. I mean, my goodness, who wouldn't? It's, It's a musical with Four lead females you know what I mean like, mm-hmm. like who would not want to do this show um so anyway so it's you know kind of a big deal to us and we're all just kind of frozen on hold just hoping and praying that we'll be able to go back to school this year and if we do go back to school that we'll be able to have some sort of a performance even if it's not for the public even if it's just so that we can record it and get them a, a DVD of, of what we've done because we're ready. I mean, the costumes are done. The set is done. Everything is done. We've had a dress rehearsal. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're ready. We just need to be able to be on campus and we need everyone to be healthy and safe. And, um, and we need to be able to do that. So th- this has been a very interesting experience for sure. But, um, but I mean, I've had many, I think, uh, I think one of the most memorable Experiences that I've had as a director was when I finally got to direct Ragtime um, two years ago, and Inlo um, is, as I've mentioned before, is a very diverse school, and and there's we have a a lot lar- it, it's so diverse but but the arts department particularly theater I would say is doesn't reflect our school's population the way we would like it to. Um, we don't have as many African-Americans in our classes as we would like, particularly our higher level classes. Um, we struggle with keeping the expectations for a magnet um, arts program and realizing that, you know, when you're taking a class, you have performances that you have to attend and participate in. and Perhaps after school um, rehearsals, and some of the families or the parents don't understand that, and so therefore are not as supportive, um, because because they're they're not used to that. Some of them, some of the the population at our school are not used to um, to that. It's not it's not a part of their culture. their and, and, and whatnot. And so I kind of thought that ragtime would be a show I would never get to direct Hmm. because I would need to have, I would need to have the whole school represented in order to do it. And, um, I finally one year I had the, the folks that I knew could be the principal characters, which was miraculous, you know, Sarah and Cole house and, And some of the other um, key uh, roles I had them, I knew that they could, they would just be phenomenal and great. And, um, And then some things in our world was happening at the same time that made me realize this was the time to do it, that I needed to do something to take a risk to bring our school community together. And so I went to the black student union at our school and um, told them about the show and asked them to do some research on their own and, and said that we want them to be a part of this. And we, we want them to feel like that this is their story too, that they can share. And, um, and that was tough too, because obviously there's language in the show that is um, still offensive. Uh, and it was something that, you know, couldn't, and in my opinion, shouldn't be changed because I felt like that was part of, of the story and part of our history and part of teaching the audience why that language is wrong and um, and why how characters treat each other in this story, why that's bad and why we need to stop it because it's still happening today despite the fact that the story is taking place a long time ago. And... So we addressed all of those things as, as a cast, as a school community, we had, um, people come in and and talk to us about those things. We addressed it, um, during the performances before each night of the show, we had faculty members, um, come and do pre-show talks about, Mm. um, racial relations and, um, And just other topics, uh, even, you know, even immigrant situations and and things like that, other things besides just race that are addressed in that particular musical. And after the show was over, we had a talk back, like after the whole run of the show, where people could come if they felt like their hearts were heavy about things and they felt like they wanted um, some, they wanted to talk through some of the emotions that the show brought up. So we had that and it just was such a positive experience all around. And, um, I had students who to this day, tell me that that was the most impactful art experiences that they've been a part of and that they felt like they were heard. And, and that's, you know, that's all, that's all a theater teacher or director can really ask for, I think, you know, um, it ended up being just a really wonderful show. Um, so that was like kind of the the, the uh, cherry on top was that the performance was great, but that wasn't the most important thing. Obviously the most important thing was how it really um, affected all the people Im- involved, including the audience and allowed our community as a school to really come together. and um, And fortunately, I'm happy to say that our numbers of folks auditioning that represent uh more diversity in our school has continued to increase after that so um hopefully that will continue to be the case so that all of our shows can can be as uh beautifully diverse as that one was so.
0: well and sometimes it's just taking taking a risk and 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 that representation you value those students, you value their voices, you value their experiences and them knowing that, know that you're a place that they can go to explore something new.
1: Right. Right. Yes. And, and being patient with the learning process, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there, there is a difference between when you're working with a student who has been involved in theater in their community and in their schools since they were in elementary school versus someone who is, you go to them and you say, will you please just trust me and audition for this show and come on this journey with us, you know, like there's going to be a learning curve. And so you have to be patient and you have to communicate with the parents so that they understand that, yes, this is a, a time sacrifice on the part of the students and on the families. Um, but in the end it's worth it and that they learn a lot and, um, they grow a lot and everybody's the better for it. So, um, but you know, that, that, that takes learning and patience and understanding on everybody's part, Mm -hmm. because even that the student who has been a part of theater since elementary school, like they have to be welcoming and they have to be patient and they have to help teach and, um, encourage and be the cheerleader for, the students who are nervous about this and have never done this before and don't know what to expect. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a good experience for everybody involved if they can be um, open and patient and um, accepting of, of everyone.
0: I, I'm just curious to know if with, uh, with the, the, strong subject matter of ragtime um did you have anything in place and and you may not have and if you didn't that's okay um for uh for de-rolling and and helping with those students as as they were dealing with that material and with one another and and being able to leave the role on stage and then step back into their real life yeah
1: yes um We, before, before most of our rehearsals, I would, um, send out kind of like a, a weekly, like this is the, I hate to say thought of the day. It would usually be like either, um, a clip of a video, like a Ted talk or an article to read or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then when we would come together as a whole ensemble, like the whole group for those big rehearsals, we would talk about it. We would say, okay, so you read this article um about this particular topic like let's talk about it for a few minutes and so um and so we took time out of our rehearsals to address those things and we um you know when we had scenes where like for example with you know like Willie Conklin and um and uh Cole House and you know the the firemen for those that are familiar with the show the firemen are kind of the the racist um, characters in the show. And there's some pretty intense scenes between them and um, the main character Colehouse. house. Uh, fortunately um, most of the firemen in our show and our coal house were all in the same actors ensemble class together. So they were already used to being an ensemble together, but that being said, because they're all, they were all very skilled performers It makes it even more real you know what i mean because they're Mm -hmm. good at it so Mm -hmm. so you really do have to kind of do a check-in at the end and be like okay we good yeah we're good you know um between the actors and um but i mean some of our actors during the week of the show i mean they definitely got looks in the hallway because it for, for audience members to come in because it's so real seeming it's, it's hard for someone not knowing the actors in real life, like, are you, was that just acting that seemed very believable? Is that really you? Is that how you really feel? And so, um, and so after the fact, you know, my actors did express that that was hard, you know, that, I mean, nobody, nobody ever said anything to them, but they definitely got looks Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. that they noticed, you know, that they felt. And, um, And so, you know, one of the things that we were hoping with that post-show, um, community talk back was that folks that would have those concerns would be able to come and, and talk about that. And, and we could, you know, clear the air for the Mm -hmm. school community. Um, but honestly, not very, it was, it was more attended. I mean, obviously the cast was required to be there, but we had more adults there, um, than we had teenagers. So, um, So it wasn't as well attended that that community talk back after the show was over as I probably would have liked. But the people who came really appreciated it. Um, I don't know. That was a roundabout way of answering your question. But we did recognize that in the rehearsals, there were some some heavy things happening. And so we tried to take care of each other and make Mm -hmm. sure that um that at the end of each of those rehearsals that we were like okay we're all a team we all love each other and um and we're good you know we can move on and we recognize that this is a story that we're sharing with an audience and it's not how we really feel
0: yeah but i think you also i mean you bring up a good point that we we as directors and teachers um we also have a responsibility to our audience and absolutely um not just our actors but but the the well-being of our audience as well and i think i mean you you've just provided some really simple um strategies that that directors can put into place when when dealing with some heavy content to to help their audience that you know you're about to see a story this is just these are not real people these are actors playing these characters and then right. providing that space afterwards as well to to process that and deal with it so yeah. i think it's important that you bring that up
1: yeah, absolutely. Another thing we did for that show is we had, um, uh, television monitors in the lobby as people were arriving that had, um, had video clips of just like real life, um, real life, uh, video of when, for example, the immigrants coming to Ellis Island and like clips about who, um, who Booker T. Washington was. And so that they, so that they would be reminded, they may have learned about those things when they were in school, but just to be reminded of those things before going in to see the show so that they could separate what is actual fact from history versus what is fictitious storyline. And so I think that that was helpful too, but I certainly, being able to give the audience a voice can be very powerful mm-hmm. so that they feel like they can process through shows that might be heavier in material and, um, and allow them to really vocalize their, their own opinions about things and, um, and understand our choices because sometimes they have questions about the director's choices or the actor's choices. Mm-hmm. And to be able to explain that so, that they understand and are not like holding in any kind of like um, misunderstandings or misinterpretations or anything like that. I mean, the whole point of art that provokes thought is to also provoke conversation. So, I think that um, any way that we as artists can uh, invite the community to come in and be a part of that conversation, the better, you know? Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I'd like to circle back and and talk a little bit about um Wonderland and how yeah. how that collaboration with Frank Wildhorn came about and um I know you your your heart is kind of heavy right now cuz you should be in production right now but talk a little more about that process and 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 celebrate yeah. it since we're not getting to see it yet.
1: Yeah. Um so it was it was all just A lot of, in my mind, divine intervention. (laughs) I knew that I had a a bunch of really strong girls, belter girls. And um, our options quite honestly are limited when it comes to shows that highlight that you can usually find a show that has like a main character, but I had so many and I wanted something that had like, you know, three or four main characters with also some supporting roles, you know, all of that. And, um, and I, you know, brought a couple of ideas to my colleagues, uh, uh table and, and none that we loved, you know, like Legally Blonde and, and stuff like that. None that we really loved. And, and a lot of the, the stories that are that contemporary musical theater style, um, that have females as, as lead roles, the, the message of the story isn't always good, you know, like Heathers and... <laughs> Um, and you know, I mean, even, even though the rights aren't available yet, even mean girls, you could kind of be like, really, do we have to be mean to each other? So, (laughs) um, so, so anyway, it was like, you know, what, like, what are the options? And I'm just like flipping through my CDs one day and I'm like, oh yeah, Wonderland back there in 2011, whatever happened to that show. Right. (laughs) So I, um, I look it up. I'm like, what did happen to that show? And Sure enough, it was only on Broadway for like a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And then it went away. And um, so that was in 2011. And then in 2017, they got a different book writer. So they had one book writer in Tampa before they went to Broadway, um, which was Jack Murphy. And then they they hired a different book writer to come in for Broadway. So they had a totally different script for Broadway. Um, but it was so rushed the the book was so rushed that obviously that didn't do very well, you know? And if you read any of the reviews, like that's what they say, the music is phenomenal, but the story is like, what is going on? So then, uh, they got another book writer for the European tour and wrote a couple of different songs for it. Um, but, uh, anyway so I'm sitting there going how can I get my hands on this and oh and then I found out that BYU Brigham Young University did it in January of 2019 and I'm like if they did it so soon ago like they somebody must be getting the right somehow so I go to Frank Wildhorn's website and I click on a link and it takes me to a ghost website from MTI and it, when you go to MTI, clearly you can't find Wonderland. So then I call MTI and I'm like, once upon a time, you had a website or you had a page <laughs> on your website that said you were going to be offering the rights to the show, whatever happened to that. And they are like, yeah, we don't have it. You're going to have to contact the writers. So I try to email Frank Wildhorn on this website and I try to message him on Facebook, but like, I'm just a little high school teacher. <laughs> Why is he going to pay any attention to me, right? Um, And then one day, and I never tell my students what shows I'm considering because quite honestly, I don't like for them to be divided. I don't want to have half the kids going, no, I hope she chooses this one and the other half to go, no, I hope she chooses this one. It's so much better just to be like, this is what we're doing. And everyone's like, yay. You know, But because I thought there was no way to do it, I was just honest with them when they kept hounding me with questions. I was like, y'all, I'm sorry. I'm really torn because I, my heart is set on a show that we're not going to be able to do. And it's Wonderland. And so I, I told them, like, I, we're not going to be able to do it. The rights aren't available anywhere. It's, it's going to be a no. Um, but my heart is set on it. So that's the reason why it's taking me a while to decide. <laughs> and one of my students is like, Miss Thornton, you know, Lauren Kennedy, um, who some people might recognize the name from like Spam a Lot and um, Les Mis, And she was uh, Alice in like the workshop versions of the show. And she's from Raleigh and she's the artistic director at Theatre Raleigh and went to Broughton High School, which is In-Low's rival. arrival. Um, so I was like, oh, and I've met her before, but like we're not on, you know, first name basis. I didn't feel comfortable just like emailing her up, you know, but. <laughs> My student um, had been in several of Lauren's shows at Theater Raleigh, and I was like, why don't you ask her if it's okay for me to contact her and ask her about this? And Lauren quickly said yes, and so I did, and explained to her why I thought that this show was perfect for us, and she emailed Frank and Jack, and Jack got back to her immediately and said he was very interested, but at the time, and this was at the end of last school year, so we're talking um, early uh, June. Um, but Jack Frank was in, um, was in Japan at the time. And, um, and so he was basically too busy to worry about it. So all summer long, I'm hanging on this 50%. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, is, and I email her every other week cause I don't want to bother Lauren, but I emailing her every other week saying any word, any word yet. And I just can't move on, even though I'm feeling quite the pressure to just make a decision about what show I'm doing so that I can start working on it. You know, I usually use the summer to really prepare and I don't have a script or anything for Wonderland. um, But I just can't move on until someone tells me no for sure. And sure enough, the very first day of classes, I get an email from Lauren that says, congratulations, I can't wait to see your production. And I'm like, congratulations what? what and so i scanned <laughs> down the email and she had copied um the email from from jack and frank and they both said yeah go ahead and can do it so they put me in touch with nick ching who's um the rep representative with wildhorn productions and he's really been the one that um that's that i've been you know mm-hmm. talking with and and that's really helped us out and has gotten us the materials and talked me through different things and um because you know because the materials are so kind of piecemeal together, we had to make sure that the changes that we were doing would be approved and um, things like there's a song in our script that wasn't in the Broadway show that when I'm reading the script, I'm thinking it's very out of place. So since the Broadway show cut it, can we cut it too? And they're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And, um, and then the cat um, in some productions, it's the cat in a lot of productions, it's El Gato. And we didn't have any Hispanic students audition for our show, and um, and our school is is um, uh, it wouldn't have gone over well for for us at our school in, in our in our city for us to whitewash that. Mm-hmm. So we got permission to just have the cat and change the Spanish um, to English, which is fine. Like you can't really tell any difference. Um, and then, of course, figuring out how to put in uh, This Is Who I Am, which is the duet from the European tour that Frank wanted us to put in. And I was like, "I was like Nick, where does it go? And he's like, well, I can't tell you because the writer <laughs> for the European script doesn't, isn't giving anyone any permission, isn't giving rights to his show. So I can't even tell you where they used it in that script. So you're just going to have to decide where you think it works. And then you're allowed to like kind of write it in, to write scenes around it so that it makes sense. Boy, that was hard. That was really hard, Jimmy, because This Is Who I Am is a song where both the Hatter and Alice are kind of realizing, all right, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm going to go after what I want, right? Well, Alice already has two songs in the show that are basically saying that same thing. And, um, and, and so it was like, okay, where do we put this? So that it makes sense, and so we picked a place. We picked it after the other two songs that Alice sings. That's basically saying the same thing, and um, in different ways, of course. And and we wrote the scene. Like I used my students, uh, the, those that were playing those those roles. I used my students to write the scene around the scenes around it. And literally at the first, we've had two dress rehearsals, last Friday and last Saturday. After last Friday's dress rehearsal, I had an epiphany and I was like, wait, I, I, it was bothering me that Alice was hot and then cold and then hot and then cold, right? That she's singing these songs where it's like the first song is like, okay, I'm not afraid anymore. And, and I see who I am now. And then the next song she's like, no, now I see who I am. And then the next song she's like, oh wait, I'm not sure. Okay. Now I know who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was so weird. <laughs> So I realized instead of the hot and cold, we need to just make it like warm, hot and on fire. And so we ended up changing, like literally on Friday, changing the scene around that duet. But that's what happens when you're creating a show that no one's ever done before. And you're using materials from three different sources, pretty much like you, like you have to not be afraid to make tough choices right at the last minute. And you have to not settle for mediocre just because you think there's not enough time. And this is also when I knew that after-school activities were canceled. So I knew that we were going to be limited, but I thought we might be able to still have an in-school performance. So even though we knew that things were kind of not certain like, I couldn't just settle. Like, I couldn't be like, this will be good enough, you know? Yeah. Like, we want to make sure that it's the best work that we can put out there. So, if I have an epiphany and we need to change the dialogue uh, the day before, our very last dress rehearsal before we go out on a indefinite break, <laughs> then that's what we do, you know?
0: But, so, But what a cool experience for not only your kids, but for you. I mean, for working with, with those people out in, in musical theater world and... I mean, giving them a real world experience of these changes can happen all the way. I mean, even through previews.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think it's really good for the kids, too, because we have some students that are interested in playwriting. And I'm sure all theater teachers out there can understand when you have a playwriting unit and you're like, okay, make revisions. And really what they're doing is making edits. And you're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. (laughs) This is not about spell checking and taking a line in there. A revision (laughs) means that you might have to like turn things upside down, you know? And so for them to see a show, a script that has already even been on Broadway and has already had a European tour and is still in the process of being tweaked and turned around and flipped upside down and all of that. I think it's a really valuable experience for them. So hopefully, they they got that. We'll, what <laughs> is... we'll see different things in our playwriting unit from now on.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, just from what you can tell so far, what is their um, what is their perspective and and their their feelings on on the process so far been like?
1: I think that they have really learned to kind of roll with the punches. You know, like I mean, we we set aside the same amount of rehearsal time for this show as we have any of our other shows, but we've had to spend, despite the fact that the music, the two music directors and I have spent a great deal of time on our own. Once we got our hands on the music back in the fall, like trying to go through and sort through everything, we still have had to spend a great deal of time in rehearsals trying to figure out like cue lines for underscore music and how much of that underscore we actually need for this amount of dialogue. And it takes so much time. And even like the choreography, because we would were using the CD and we checked and the CD is the same as the score that the students have for what they're learning but then later on, we got the scores for the musicians, for the pit. Uh. And when comparing that, we realized, oh, there are some differences. And so trying to, like, in rehearsals, figure out how to make those adjustments, a, a lot has, the students have just had to kind of, like, be ready and, mm-hmm. and not stress out about the fact that there was uncertainty ironically in today that that uncertainty is this kind of overall thing that we've that we've learned through the process is that we're not really sure how all of this is going to piece together because we're kind of making it happen on the spot right and um, and that that's a, a mystery and a challenge and that we have to be open to change and then here right here at the tail end of things right before we open we get the biggest change of all with, you know, screeching halts, everybody on hold, everything frozen in place. And we are uncertain about what's going to happen when we're going to get back to school, if we're going to be able to perform it. But these are all life lessons, right, Jimmy? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, this is not something that is just what artists go through. This is what every human being on the planet goes through in their everyday life, you're always faced with, um, financial difficulties or job uncertainty, or just a desire to make a change in your life. And the fear of what that might be like, if I, if I go with my heart and with my gut, like, how is that going to be received by others? You know, um, am I brave enough to make that change? Um, so I hope that, that, Though I hope that they learn the valuable lessons as artists that they've learned through this, I hope more importantly that they've learned the, the valuable lessons of, as human beings that um, that this is teaching them as well. Yeah.
0: I certainly hope that you get to perform uh, and, and get to go into production uh, mm-hmm. pretty soon. Um, I hope that your kids get, get to go back and, and bring that to life that they've been working on and, and rolling in for for so long. Thank you, me too.
1: Um,
0: I don't want to give uh, coronavirus um, too much more power, but I do want to ask what What are some, some strategies or things that you're doing as you're, because you're, I'm assuming you're rolling into some online teaching as well.
1: Well, actually, our county has said that we cannot give any assignments that would be graded during this time because they're mm-hmm. concerned about the number of students that don't have um, access to the internet. And um, so we can give um, supplemental materials and things for students to do to just keep them um, from not being bored at home. But right now we have been told do not give anything that would be new material that they can do at, at home. However, um, because we also know that uh, this is going to be a longer break than was initially, you know, told to us, we were told it's going to be at least through March the 27th. And our governor has said North Carolina schools will be out longer than that. So we know it's going to be further. Um, Our school system and um, our state superintendent, they are, coming up with plans now on how to instruct the teachers about what is expected as far as um, virtual learning goes. Um, so, you know, a lot of teachers, particularly those who are already very tech savvy, they've already started planning because they, they already know like this is coming, so this is what I'm doing. Um, I will readily admit that I am not as tech savvy as those people. So I have not actually started preparing anything virtually, though I have thought a great deal about it. And I have been looking at the resources that other people have been sharing because it's everywhere. I mean, Mm -hmm. you get on Facebook and people are like, hey, here's this thing that I discovered, maybe this, you know. So I'm looking at it and trying to figure out what is going to be the best for me and my students. But I haven't actually, like, created anything yet. I don't have a clear plan yet because – um, this is definitely going to be, uh, new territory for me as well. I'm sure I'm not the only teacher out there that, um, that is, that's in that boat. Um, but, um, I hope I'm not skipping too far ahead, but I was going to say the best resource out there for teachers are other teachers. And so, um, I mean, I know that I have colleagues that I'm going to be able to turn to. I mean, already, I mean, like I said, already, like you go in your inbox and teachers are like, Hey, here's this, I found this, I found this. And it's all about virtual learning and how to do that, even though they've been told don't do it yet, you know? Yeah. So we're ready teach. I mean, we're teachers know how to know how to make things work with um, little uh, resources and um, little money. And so we're going to make it work when, when we're called to action for sure. Um, yeah, that was.
0: When you are not thinking about online learning, what is one of your favorite lessons or projects that you, you teach or do with your kids?
1: Oh, I have two that popped in my head immediately. One is with my, um, intermediate theater students. So this would be ninth and 10th graders and um and this uh, is a unit where i put them into groups of uh, four to five students and within the group they collectively come up well I've, I've actually done it two ways i'll either give them a generic description of a set like you have a tropical region that is very has very little touch from humanity in it or you have a war-torn country or whatever, or I will tell them to pick a book that they've all read, um, which is the harder way to go because when you have like mixed uh, grade levels, a lot of the students haven't read all the same Mm -hmm. books and whatnot. Um, But nevertheless, I give them either a set description like a location or a book that they've all read. And one person in the group is the playwright and one person is the publicity designer, one's the set designer one's the costume designer and one's the makeup designer. And they all have to do like dramaturgical research um, for their play. If it's a, if it's a book or for this location that they've come up with, and they have to come up with a beginning, middle and end to their, um, to a, a play that doesn't actually exist. You know um, when it's a book, it's a very interesting process because figuring out what parts of the book you need versus which, what parts of the book you don't need. Because certainly when you take a book and you put it on stage, you can't have everything in it you know, that's in the book. Um, so how you would come across, how you would go about editing the, the plot line so that you have minimal locations and, um, and yet you get the whole, the whole storyline coming through. And the, the playwright has to come up with a very detailed character list like really analyze each of the characters that would be in the show and also a plot outline. And then they have to write in correct playwriting format, of course, um, one of the scenes from their show. They don't have to write the whole play because that can be a, a long process, obviously, if you're talking about a full-length play. Um, and then the costume designer has to do their research along with everybody else and um, come up with five uh, well sketches of um five different characters and then final renderings of five different characters with fabric swatches and then they have to realize one of their costume pieces that's approved by me so it doesn't necessarily have to be sewing involved it could be costume crafts but they have to like create something that they've designed and the makeup artist has to do the same thing as the costume artist only they have to put the makeup on someone they have to actually like execute Um, One of their makeup designs on someone and the set designer has to do a floor plan to scale floor plan and a color rendering and then the whole group together Oh, the publicity person has to do. um, uh, Three concept uh, sketches of their or um, or creations of their poster and then one final poster and also a whole publicity plan so any kind of press releases or additional stunts or um, memorabilia or whatever it is that they're going to do for media um, uh, to publicize their show and then the whole group together has to build a model of the set design so it's a big long project but it really is good especially since at our school we have separate multiple levels of technical theater and not all of our acting students though we encourage them to do so take the technical theater classes. So within our theater um, intermediate class, to have a unit where they're exposed to that so that we really see what their skills are and um, what their interests are outside of just acting, then it really um, makes them have, number one, a better appreciation for all the technicians, obviously. Um, But also you end up, you know, discovering future set designers and future um, publicist and and things like that. So it's uh, really very exciting. And they have you know, le- some learner agency with that because they get to pick which role they want within their group. I always ask them ahead of time what they feel like their strengths already are, how many of them have some experience with graphic design, how many of them feel like they're pretty good visual artists, and how many of them feel like they're pretty good writers and things like that. So that when I create the groups, I kind of spread the wealth as far as yeah the talents go. Um, But then within their group, they get to choose who's the playwright, who's the set designer, and all of that. Um, For my actors ensemble class, and I know that there are other teachers who do a similar project, but one of their favorites is um, what I call the duo project, where I have a list of different theater practitioners and and genres of theater, some like really obscure and some very well-known and they have to choose two that are seemingly extremely unrelated, and then they have to devise a theater piece that incorporates both of them and and really marries both of them seamlessly together. They also have to do quite a bit of research, of course, and present a lesson to the class to teach us about the two different um, genres or theater practitioners that they selected. Um, And that is what we were right in the middle. We were about to perform um, before we have been sent on hiatus for a little bit, but they love that project. They look forward to it every year and think that it's really fascinating and, and challenging. Um, so yeah, those are two of my favorites.
0: I used to do a, um, a, a, a theater theorist workshop where my, my IB kids would, would take a theorist and they would create a 90-minute workshop um, doing exercises and techniques and, and teaching yeah. us about them. And it terrified them. And they loved it. And yeah. then they realized how much planning it takes to fill that 90 minutes and to keep their classes' attention. I'm like, oh, yep, great. Th- remember that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yes. Um, what is something you wish you had known thinking back 22 and a half years ago? Um, what is something you wish Matt Webster could have taught you oh, that you weren't gosh. able to learn? <laughs>
1: Oh, I love that. Um, I teach every other year at uh, North Carolina Theater Arts Educators Fall Sharing Conference. I teach a um, survival kit for a first and second year teacher. And I've done that for years. And the very first thing I say to them is, these are the things I wish I had known. So I actually very much know the answer to that question. The thing that I wish that I had known, and you're going to laugh, is that they're not going to fire you. (laughs) Um, When I uh, first started teaching, I actually, um, you know, earlier we said I've been teaching for 22 and a half years. I started teaching at um, Sedgefield middle school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, They had, uh, I I started teaching three days before graduation in December. And um, they had already been through five theater teachers. It was December, and they had. I was the fifth one. Okay, so they they've been through four. I was the fifth one. So I was also like given a walkie-talkie because the administration. I was the only teacher with a walkie-talkie. The administration was afraid for my safety, so they gave me a walkie-talkie so I could quickly get a hold of them if I needed to. It was it was very challenging. Um, and I remember one day, um, like my students were literally throwing chairs across the room like literally a chair was thrown across the room and I did not know what to do and I walked across the hallway to the teacher's lounge and I called Martha O'Neill who was my um, cooperating teacher when I student taught at Northwest School of the Arts and she is fabulous and, and wonderful and one of my favorite human beings on the planet and I called her crying and I said I'm going to be fired. I'm going to be fired. And she was like, why are you going to be fired? You're not going to be fired. And I said, I just walked out on my class. And she said, Coco, they're not going to fire you for walking out on your class. Now, I don't recommend walking out on your class to people. <laughs> I definitely don't recommend doing that. But the, the, the lesson here is that sometimes we blow out of proportion as first-year teachers um, how bad a circumstance is Mm -hmm. when in reality, it's just a really bad moment and you're going to get through that bad moment and it's going to be fine. So do the best you can in that bad moment. And then at the other side of it, look back on it and say, okay, how might have I handled that differently? What could I have done better? What can I do moving forward to prevent something like that happening again? Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that if you love young people, and if you love the subject that you teach, there there is a need for you in the field of education. And the administrators want you to be there. They want you to be successful. They're not looking for you to mess up so that they can fire you. It is just like a director who is sitting there at an audition and the students, the actors come into the audition and they're a nervous wreck thinking that the director is just waiting for them to mess up so that they can be like, ah, oh, forget it. When in actuality, the people on the other side of that table are hoping and praying that you're going to knock our socks off by being phenomenal. So we're your biggest fans, you know? So, so that's what I wish I had known as a first year teacher is that, no one is looking to see my flaws as a teacher. They're rooting for me and they're hoping that I'm going to overcome those challenging bits and I'm going to be a better teacher for it. And I'm going to continue improving and getting better as a teacher so that my students can see how much I, number one, love them, love the kids that I work, that I, that I teach. And number two, love the subject that I teach. Um, So, yeah, there you go. They're they're not going to really fire you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is, other than, if if you don't have anything else, that's fine to you, but other than other teachers, do you have another resource that you can recommend uh, for teachers that we absolutely need to know about?
1: I think think that related to other teachers, see if there's not some professional um, organization in your state. Like in North Carolina, it's North Carolina Theater Arts Educators um, uh, also North Carolina theater conference. And I know that different states have different things, but see if there's not some state organization that's just for theater teachers, because that is such a huge resource. I mean, I, I'm fortunate where I'm at a school where there are three theater teachers. I'm one of three theater teachers. Um, but most teachers are just by themselves. And some teachers are the only theater teachers in their County. So any way that you can like reach out and become a part of these organizations, um, I'm always like a little saddened when I when I go to these conferences and I, I see what resources are being provided for teachers. And I think of how many teachers didn't come to the conference, you know, and I'm like, man, like there's so much here and, and you're really missing out. Um, so I would just encourage to like reach out and, and find out what is available in your state as far as. Um, as far as a real community of, of other professionals that can, that can help support each other. Yeah.
0: And do you have any parting words of wisdom for new teachers coming into the field or veteran teachers just needing an encouraging word right now?
1: I think for new teachers, I would say um, to, to press forward and not give up and to really live for those light bulb moments that we know we see when, when students eyes light up with what it is you're teaching them and, um, focus on them. We can get bogged down a lot by the educational red tape and the requirements put on us by administration and by, um, by the state. Um, and if you focus on the students, then you're, you're never going to question like why you're doing what you're doing. Um, for veteran teachers, you know, I think it's probably the same thing, actually. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, you've put so many years into a profession and you think, how much longer can I do this? And yet you're too invested in it, as, you know, as far as, like, waiting for retirement benefits and everything. You feel like you can't really leave. Um, but you, you, it's important to, if you focus on the kids then you're not, I don't think that you can get burned out. I don't think you can. I mean, I think that there, are, I think that we can lose our patience sometimes with, um, with uh, the red tape and years after years of, uh, of maybe, you know, lack of respect by government officials and, and that kind of thing. But if you focus on the students, then everything else will be worth it. I really, really believe that. They are why we do what we do. And so I would just keep your eye focused on them and, and, and try to let everything else roll off of your back. Um, and then you'll, you'll keep that joy that, you, that you've always had for your, for your job. You know, our, it's, it's a blessing to be able to teach theater. So all of the theater teachers out there, just remind yourself of um, what a great privilege it is to work with young artists and to see like where they go and what they're gonna do with themselves. And even if it's not in theater, it sometimes it's even better when it's not in theater because you see that what you taught them in theater um, helped them be better than all the other people in their field that didn't take theater.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, Coco, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. Um, Let's not do 22 and a half years before we talk again. let's not, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you for all that you are doing for not only your students at your school, but for across the state and and hopefully teachers now who hear this across the, the country. So thank you for everything you're doing.
1: You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me
0: just like grabbing coffee and catching up with a friend and never missing a beat so coco thank you for joining me it was a pleasure chatting with you and catching up and just hearing about all the amazing things that you are doing with your students now um i knew as a freshman how special you were and um like i said 22 and a half years later it was just an absolute joy to see you so on fire for what you inspired me to do um, and what you are inspiring so many young kids to do and to pursue so thank you for all you were doing thank you audience for listening and tuning into this episode i hope you uh got a lot out of it and uh i i hope that you are still maintaining some semblance of light and joy and and hope as we um are doing this this online learning and we're not giving power to the coronavirus but we are still keeping our kids excited and and we're still excited about what we're doing even though it may be a little different a little little harder than um what we were hoping to do be doing at this time of year but just keep the energy up Check out past episodes of Thed Talks. You can go on our website, www.thedtalks.com, where you can um, check out all of our past episodes, check out each theater teacher's page who's been on the show, and uh, check out the resource list that they've provided. Um, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast providers as well, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, AnyPod, and tune in. Go on to one of your favorite podcast providers so you don't miss a single episode and it just automatically populates in your podcast app go on subscribe to the show so you can do that rate us leave us those stars review us tell us what you're liking about the show and most importantly share what we are doing with those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from it Contact me via email at, at com. I love getting email. I love hearing from you. And uh, give me those advice. Give me those ideas. Give me that feedback on the show. Give me ideas of things that you want to hear on the show, guests you'd like to hear, um, things that you want us to do. Um, I listen. I do put things into practice. So so reach out to me. I'd love to, love to communicate with you on email. Check us out on all your favorite social media, on Twitter, at Theateredtalks, on Tumblr, com. Find us on Facebook, Fed Talks, Instagram, Fed Talks Podcast, and of course the website one more time is FedTalks.com. Please go on if you are interested in being part of our virtual PLCs that we have started on the show. Um, I would love to have you. Uh, We are, I get together four to five theater teachers, um, and uh, we we just talk about the issues that are concerning you. Uh, Many of us feel isolated in our classrooms and in our theaters, and there's no one else in our buildings like us, sometimes no one else in the district like us. So, Check us out. Sign up for it. If you wanted to be a guest on the show but you didn't want to be the sole focus of the interview, come join those other theater teachers and let's talk about the things that we love, things that are stressing us out, and the things that we want to celebrate together that only we theater teachers could understand from each other. So check that out. Go on the website, fedtalks.com slash virtual-plcs, and uh, I, I will get you scheduled and, and we'll, we'll get you on the, on the show and with some other teachers talking about what you love thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman, for the use of your original music, magnetize and flip the record. And teachers, thank you for all you're doing. Keep that light burning. Keep those students engaged. Thank you for what you're doing and have a great week.